The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. It is a Wednesday drive. Todd McShay. He has the Panthers being active and reaching in his latest mock draft. We'll get to that in a little bit because we need to talk about these Duke Blue Devils. After days, uh, after yesterday's loss to Notre Dame, it's become pretty clear this is not an NCAA tournament team. Kay said last night, they're close to being good, and I actually buy that with all the close games that they've lost. It's also why I think Duke nixing the second half of its non-conference schedule is the primary cause of an under 500 Blue Devil team here in mid-February. This is not me criticizing the decision back in December, but with a very young team, they really could have used those extra games. They simply haven't had enough games, I think, together. Take North Carolina as an example. I remember Kerwin Walton was very quiet from the jump. Roy said before the start of the year, he might be our best shooter. And he didn't really show it for the first few games, first four or five out there. And it was, I think, the last non-conference game that North Carolina had that he really started to come into his own. That's when Theo Penson was on Twitter giving him the nickname Muffin Top. Then you had the North Carolina Central game. I was at it, and that was a great lesson that North Carolina learned about closing games out regardless of how many points you were up. Moten's team kept on fighting. They hit a few threes. They made it a two-possession game. Roy called a timeout with 15 or 16 seconds left to go in it just to reinforce that message, which is a good spot to reinforce it, rather than you're up by a f- uh, less than you would if you were playing a team uh, better than North Carolina Central, and you end up losing, being thrown into the fire a bit too soon. I think... Duke would be where North Carolina's at right now, or very close to it. Certainly above the cut line in Joe Lenardi's bracketology if they had those extra three games than where they're at right now. They're not in the mix. They're not going to be an at-large team. Three games. It sounds minor. It sounds like it's not much, but I think it's monumental for a really young team. Coach K, I think, explained this really well after the game. I feel bad for for them, you know, right? because they uh, there's not an app for experience, you know. Uh, there's an app for a lot of things, but not that. What are you laughing about, Robert? Uh, did you watch Hey Arnold as a kid? Did I watch Hey Arnold? Yeah. Helga Pataki. <sighs> Stop it. He sounds like that kid that's always breathing behind Helga. Oh, yeah, that she yeah, has yeah, to yeah. Break I know what glasses. you're talking about. That's not nice, Robert. Duke is under 500 right now. I'm sure a lot of people are sympathetic to Coach K. On Twitter, at Sports Hub Triant, a great pull on your part, too. Haven't thought about that in a very long time. Duke would not be in danger of dropping under 500 at this point if they had the cushion of playing three non-conference games. Now, I know what you might be thinking, Josh... Who's to say Duke would have won the extra games that they had? Well, here were the games that were scheduled that were either postponed and then not made up or Duke just didn't end up playing. Elon, Charleston Southern, Gardner-Webb. Win, win, 
win. And even if you assume Duke loses the same games that they'd lose in ACC play, if math serves correct, that would still be 10-8. and eight. I happen to believe building your confidence, getting more wins, having more time on the floor probably would have helped Duke make that play or two necessary that turns out to decide a game, like yesterday or many of the other close games that Duke's played in. To be clear again, I'm not criticizing the decision by Kay to cancel the rest of the non-conference season. That's not what I'm doing. Because he knows his team better than I do, better than you do, better than Robert does. And he felt, with the team coming back first week of August, that the Blue Devils were best served being home for Christmas, making sure they could spend time with their families, even as Dr. Fauci and the government at that point said that nobody should be traveling around the holidays. Coach K and Duke have really handled the pandemic, I think, as well as anybody across the country. No cases in their program, as far as I know. The university, there have been stories written by several news outlets talking about how they've been able to have in-person classes and the protocols they've had and the testing that they've done for their student body. It's been really good. It's been top-notch at Duke. But the reason why, if we're being honest, that Duke's gotten this far without having any pauses or issues or minimal disruption is because of how stringent these protocols are. I hope people understand that when they arrived on campus in August, they were only allowed to go to two different places, Robert. Essentially, for how many months would that be? It'd be for six months, six, seven months, the Duke basketball players, with the exception of a week for Christmas, have been in two places. The hotel that they're living in, because that's where they're at. They're not in a dorm. They're in their hotel <laughs> and the basketball facility. Those are the two places. They, they do their school in the basketball facility. They have meals catered at the facility and also at the hotel. They're not allowed to be around their teammates except for when they're on the floor together for those couple of hours, and that's it. That's really difficult to deal with if you're 18, 19, 20 years old. So Kay felt like it was the right thing at that point for the Blue Devils to take off and not to play the rest of the non-conference schedule. But the residual of that, I think, this team not coming along as quickly as other one-and-done Coach K teams have. So when I'm thinking of the primary reasons why Duke is under 500 in mid-February, something that hasn't happened in 26 years, I think it's that decision. Not blaming K for it, because he felt it was the right one, and he knows the team better than I do. But it speaks to maybe in the pandemic year, where in sports on platforms such as this one, you have fans, you have hosts bloviating and making opinions, making judgments about coaches' performance and players' performance. That usually flies and it's fair game in most years. I don't really feel that comfortable doing it in Duke's case based on that decision they made in December. They're handling this as well as anybody on the outside. But man, you can't help but think how hard it's been on those players when you see Matthew Hurt after the game. Jason Benetti is going to join us in a little over 20 minutes. 
Look forward to catching up with him, and he's going to tell us what he's doing with the Winston-Salem Dash. We'll get some Bill Walton stories out of him. But I wanted to address a situation that BDOT put up on social media earlier today, our good friend. The situation, as I understand it, with him not being able to come on the show anymore, as he announced. Sometimes radio can be dumb and territorial. This is one of those instances. Radio stations, if you don't know, like Sports Hub Triad and the one that Dot does more uh, his morning show for, they're owned by bigger companies that aren't based in the Triad, the headquarters. We have local managers here that knew what was up. And, you know, for both me and Dot, uh, we've we promoted what we do. We haven't hid anything out there. Him coming on, hanging out, doing grammar school, which we've enjoyed all this time. But some corporate managers above them maybe don't know what's happening here locally. There's no animosity between the stations. I know we have listeners who work over there, just as they have listeners in our building uh, listening to what they're doing over there. However, somebody clearly felt threatened enough by his appearances on this show to get it run up the ladder, ladder to their corporate offices far away from here, where some suits who couldn't care less about the triad deemed that our sports talk, uh, sports talk station was a competitor with a hip-hop station. So BDOT's not going to be able to come on the show anymore. I know this because I've talked to Dot about it. He's crushed by it, and we're crushed by this. We hope we can figure out a way to keep the relationship going moving forward, but it won't be on terrestrial radio. I learned about this last week, but chose to keep quiet about it because I was so upset I didn't want to say something I ended up regretting. So I'll say this instead. I'm grateful and I'm thankful. It was fun. It was local. It was special. Me and Dot last week, and I don't know if I told you about this, Robert, we helped a high schooler out with a project. He mentioned that our show had piqued his interest in sports broadcasting, and that was a really special moment to see it. Uh, Dot told me one time that a friend, <laughs> he had a friend who got out of prison, and that friend said, you don't realize how big of a celebrity you are in there, Dot. He thought it might be because of the morning show he does, but the inmates apparently would circle around a radio just to hear how Dot would give it to me on the air on Wednesdays. I give... I gave Dot the moniker, the unofficial mascot of the Tar Heels, without really giving it much thought, very early on, about a year and a half ago. And he's turned that, Robert, into a brand that this week, just yesterday, landed him on the official Carolina Insiders podcast. I'm very proud to know we played a role in introducing a fresh, new, driven, fun, black sports voice to a North Carolina sports scene that's still way too white and not as fun as I'd like it to be. So again, we'll still have our weekly IG live show on Thursday nights, 8 o'clock. We'll get to do it together and perhaps we can figure out something else if demand allows for it. But I wanted to let you know what exactly happened. The truth, um, as far as I see it. We'll get back to the fun. We'll get back to the sports in a bit, and specifically to McShay's latest mock draft next on The Drive. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves to daydream about sports, mostly about being the locker room towel boy. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham.
Let's party like it's 2016. The national anthem back in the news. We'll get to that as it relates to the NBA in 15 minutes. Because right now, we're being joined by Jason Benetti, who you might know as trying to wrangle in Bill Walton on ESPN College Basketball Broadcast, but also is somebody who we know is the voice of the Chicago White Sox. He is a Wake Forest alum, an alum broadcasting high point basketball. Once upon a time, the voice of the Panthers, our good friend Darren Vaught, now has that honor um, here in 2021. Benetti is doing something really cool with the Winston-Salem Dash. It's, he's going to be moderating the 2021 virtual hot stove banquet in a week, a week from the day. Jim Tomei going to be a part of it as well. Tickets on sale at ws-dash.com with proceeds benefiting the Winston-Salem Sports Foundation. Let's start here, Benetti, and the times appreciated back in your old stomping grounds in the triad. What's the best Tomei story you've heard over the years as the voice of the White Sox? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, first of all, the, the, the amazing thing about Jim Tomei's stories is everybody loves him. I mean, there are literally like three cities in America that have Jim Tomey statues, which is ridiculous. Like he leads the league in statues. We joke around about that a lot. I, I think the greatest thing that's happened involving Jim Tomey, maybe not as a, not as a teammate, but you know, a couple of years ago they did that celebrity softball game attached to the All Star game, and it was in Cleveland. And his son Landon ended up taking a swing in his spot in the order. <clears throat> and got himself a base hit. And to see Jim and how excited he was to have his kid do that where he grew up as a player in Cleveland was awesome. I mean, Jim Tomey is also the perfect example of why minor league baseball matters and why coaches matter, because he's talked often about Charlie Manuel being the guy who taught him to have that sweet swing to the opposite field. So to me, that's... uh He's a perfect example of what the minors can be. I miss minor league baseball so much. It's probably the thing I miss the most, aside from March Madness from last year, where I have season tickets right behind home plate for the Dash at now it's called Truist Stadium. Didn't get a chance to see the new logos, both for the team and also for the stadium. Hope we're able to do that in 2021. I'm looking at your background a bit. When you were studying... In the mid 2000s at Wake Forest, you were studying law, as far as I know. I, I, I see online that you were studying law. Did you think at that point it would be possible to replace Hawk Harrelson as the voice of the White Sox <laughs> and also be sitting next to Bill Walton having him badger you on ESPN? It's the best part of my day when Bill Walton badgers me on television or otherwise. Uh, he's the absolute best. I love the guy dearly. Uh, so when I was when I was at law school at Wake Forest, I got in in like 2007. I deferred a year because I was doing baseball in Salem, Virginia, in the same league as the Dash, Carolina League. They were the Salem Avalanche at that point. Now the Salem Red Sox. Yes. And I was I was doing games, but I also knew that I wanted to learn about the law, and I had gotten into Wake Forest, and they were really really good about me doing games while also going to law school. So I always had the aspiration of wanting to do games, but like. There were some nights where, like, High Point, ah, what year was it? I want to say, like, 2010, High Point had a road game at Tennessee Tech in Cookville, Tennessee. So you drive west through Asheville and get to Cookville. 
And I actually drove back with my broadcast partner at the time, Evan Leffler was filling in sometimes for Stafford Stevenson. Evan and I drove back right after the game in Cookville. I got home at like 4.30 in the morning and had a final at 8 a.m. And you haven't lived until you've taken a law school final on no sleep on a drive from Cookville, Tennessee, through the mountains. It's really thrilling. Uh, (laughs) But, no, I, you know. But hold one sec. What is the career aspiration where you're like, you know what? On one end, I'm going to be play-by-play announcer extraordinaire Jason Bedetti. But on the other end, I'm going to hit you with the law degree. Well, I mean, that's why I did the ref cast for the mega cast for the college football playoff national championship game, Josh. No, I, I always was interested in studying more. I was interested in the law. I, I liked the logic of it. Like, I always liked logic games and everything growing up. And clearly, you can tell I was one of the cool kids. So the, it wasn't necessarily a career aspiration, but it was like, I know I want to learn. I know I have the freedom to do it. High Point was great about it. Wake Forest was great about it. So that was awesome. But I always wanted to do games. Like, it was always the aspiration to be as good of a play-by-play announcer as possible. But to know that you could replace Hawk Harrelson, that, that was crazy town. Like, there are only 30 of these jobs in TV play-by-play in Major League Baseball. So you kind of have to do it because you love the craft. Because if you don't and you aim for the job, it's so unlikely. I mean, it's just so unlikely. Jason Benetti's with us here. He's going to be moderating the Dashes. 2021 virtual hot stove banquet a week from today with Hall of Famer Jim Tomey. What do you remember about the first time you called a game with Bill Walton? <laughs> so I remember, first of all, meeting him and having him say to me when I said hello, he said, save it for the air. So we didn't really talk before we did the game. We just interviewed coaches together, but we didn't really talk. And then I got on the air and it was, literally together the the most amazing experience I've ever had with a broadcast partner because you always have to be ready for him to literally say anything remember those those like action figures you used to have with like the pull string behind them and you pull the string and they say one of like 10 pre-recorded phrases sure Bill has infinity pre-recorded phrases but what you're describing what you're describing though Jason most brought you like that you think that's the best thing to have in a partner there are so many others I know in this business that would say no 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 I don't want that <laughs> no but it's curiosity right like I, you asked, like, why did you go to law school? It's because I, I wanted to know what was out there. And so I want to know what's in his mind. I mean, I, that's why we invited him to do the White Sox game with me in 2019, because I had no idea where it was going to go, and I knew we'd have more freedom than in a basketball game, and it was the most glorious uh, three and a half hours of complete malfunction and beauty at the same time. Jason Benetti is with us here on Sports Up Triad. Did you go to, uh, when you were here in Winston-Salem going to school, did you spend much time going to Dash games? Maybe it was the Warthogs at the time. I don't, don't quite remember when that turnover was. So I was always doing minor league baseball at the time, so I never got to like go have a drink at a Dash game. So I was in Salem, Virginia in the off season. Gotcha. And then for two years, so 07, 08, I was in Salem, and we played at Ernie Shore Field and the Warthogs. Like, Micah Schnurstein was playing first base. Javier Colina, like Brian Omagroso was pitching. Those are some of the names. Uh, and then in 2009, I went back to Syracuse and started doing AAA games. So I was never around for the new ballpark. But when Alex Vizpoli was the voice of the Dash, he was one of my roommates. 
And then I've stayed in contact with the Dash through the White Sox stuff. So I never actually got to see a game other than returning just for fun to see friends at the new ballpark. But it's awesome. One of these times we'll have to get you down here for maybe the NSMA or something of that sort and uh, get you at that ballpark because it's a lot of fun and I know you'd like it, but of course you got the White Sox and stuff to do as well. I hope we can catch up somewhere down the line. I've admired your work for a long time, Benetti, and um, appreciate you spending the time in the try of the day. Good luck with the virtual hot stove next week. Josh, miss you all. Everybody down there, I miss Foothills. I miss Sweet Potatoes. I miss the whole deal. <laughs> Very well said. There he goes. It's Jason Benetti, Wake Forest grad. We won't acknowledge the Syracuse stuff, but he is a Wake Forest graduate. Benetti, joining us here on Sports Hub Try. Make sure you tune into the virtual hot stove shortly before 7 o'clock next Wednesday ws-dot-com with proceeds benefiting the Winston-Salem Sports Foundation. Uh, I think Benetti's enough of a draw. Jim Tomey, for good measure, I think puts it over the top. Robert, what do you imagine broadcasting a game with Bill Walton to be like? Oh, man. I don't know, because I don't understand the pressure of having to broadcast a game, so I kind of imagine it's like, having a very important Zoom meeting, but then also having to babysit a child who happens to be a proficient Zoom meeting participant. Uh huh. So you really don't know what's going to come out of the baby's mouth. You just know they know how to turn the camera on and off. You're kind of that way a little bit, too. I would like to imagine what it would be like if you were doing the color commentary. I don't want to take away a gig from Geisinger for a night, but if you were next to Darren Vaught calling <laughs> a high-point basketball game, I'd like to know what that sounds like. How would you prepare for it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd probably learn all the dudes' names. I'd probably find out what they liked, find out how to bring that into the broadcast. Maybe, I don't know. It would probably sound terrible. Absolutely terrible. Guys, would, it sound, would it sound a lot different than, say, Walton calling a game, talking about camping and tents? I don't know if I'd go that deep. I don't know if I'd be out here talking about my cats the whole broadcast, but it, it definitely would be a little funky. I think there's a lot of room for fun. I think there's a lot of room for different. I think about that in the sports talk radio context quite a bit, which was what I was alluding to when it came to the BDOT stuff earlier this hour, where you know there's a lot of room in local radio and sports talk to set yourself apart, to sound and look different. And man, the people that still get mad about Walton at this point who don't know what it's about, I'm amazed by it. There's enough people who are taking the game seriously and breaking down every iota of the X's and O's. There's enough of that where I can deal with one Walton. But as we discussed with Tar Heel fans who had issue with it in Nashville, it's all fun and games with Walton until he's calling your game. That's when you want the serious X's and O's. Because there are some people that say, yeah, I like Walton. But then when Walton's calling your game, you're not nearly as jazzed up about it. Okay, up next... Could Duke opt out on the remainder of the season? I can't really rule it out right now. I'll explain what I mean when you return on the drive.
All right, let's go. Oh, I'm so excited. And three, two, one, go. The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I don't want to call it rapid fire with Adam Gold, but I want to get to a lot of things with AG as our midday host joins us now, as he does each week on Twitter at AGoldFan. Listen to the Adam Gold Show noon to three right here on Sports Hub Triad. Let's start here. Steve Forbes says that he looks just like Bruce Arians. You get that a lot as well. Who looks more like Bruce Arians, you or Steve Forbes? Nobody has ever said I look like Bruce Arians. Um, I've seen uh, it on social media, Adam. I've oh, seen really? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, Steve Forbes definitely does. Okay. Steve Forbes looks definitely. more like Bruce Arians than AG does. Got definitely. that one. I'm, I'm, I'm round. But I don't, and I'm, but I'm not as big, I'm not as tall as either Coach Forbes or Bruce Arians. I want to get your take on what's happening. The national anthem, let's party like it's 2016. It's back in controversy again. Mark yeah. Cuban, he doesn't want it played at Mavs games. It hasn't been played as there's no fans there. There soon will be fans at all the NBA arenas over the next month or so. The NBA making it clear that the anthem's still going to play. I... I like the anthem. I It's not something I need to be there, but I happen to like it being there. What's you like your it stance as a on song? it? Oh, I don't like it as a song. I like it as a tradition, and you know, it just gets you set for a big game. It's the soundtrack where it's, hey, you're at a game, and we're all we're all standing there. It's right. not for hokey faux patriotism that I say I want the national anthem there. It's just something I've happened to like as I grow older. When when I was a kid, I thought part of the national anthem was play ball. I, when I was a kid, I really thought that was the that was like another lyric of the national anthem. Um, here's what I do when I know um, the national anthem. Anthem. The national anthem is a necessary evil of sports. Uh, it's there. It's always going to be there. Uh, but I do know this from either doing games on radio or. Uh, what I know from TV production, other than the Super Bowl, if you can miss the anthem, that's the plan. Uh, it's bad radio, it's bad TV. Uh, so the, the anthem is more tradition than necessary. Uh, my curiosity is this. The Mavericks have played, what, 13 home games by now? Correct. It's just now a story? I found that funny. And I am here for Mark Cuban versus Adam Silver. I am here for that. Because Cuban doesn't want it to be played. Adam Silver, I think, has earned himself a lot of equity for a lot of the stuff he's done over the last six or seven years. He's been NBA commissioner. Of course, you had the Donald Sterling stuff. You have him marching in LGBTQ parades, which we haven't seen commissioners Uh doing before. Of course, you had last summer the bubble, how he was the leader in that. But I don't think it's really controversial to say that Silver hasn't done as great of a job over the last month without the bubble being in place. And I think the key example of that is what happened with Kevin Durant last weekend, where he's allowed to play in a game, then he's taken out, and Durant's confused, and he's questioning whether or not the decisions being made are about optics or about science. What do you think about the job Adam Silver's done so far, and is there a chance this might be the first 
black eye he takes in terms of his public image. I, I don't think he's going to get a black eye for this. I really don't. Um, and ultimately, I think the Mavericks will do what they want to do and accept the fine because uh, that's generally Mark Cuban's way of doing things. Um, a lot of what we see sports do with COVID, a lot of it, and I, look, I don't want to put a percentage, but there's enough of it that is optics. I've, I've been saying this all year. For the life of me, I cannot figure out why coaches who go through the same testing protocols as players have to wear a mask, but players who are not in the game don't. That doesn't make sense to me. They're all going through the same protocol. Theoretically, they're all, uh, they're all negative. Those that are positive stay home. Those that are negative are allowed to, uh, to do their job. I'll do you one better. Going to a Wake Forest football game, which I did this past year in the stands, you have to wear a mask when you're sitting there separated from people, but you're not. no one's going to say anything to you about wearing a mask if you're eating a hot dog or drinking a beverage, as if COVID can't spread while you're eating. Look, you know, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out why people said, you know, uh, the problem is singing. I'm like, who's going around singing? And then we saw what happened at UNC after they beat Duke. A bunch of guys singing. That's it. Don't sing. That's, that's the key. Stop these players from, uh, from singing. Uh, to me, the, the real misstep from Adam Silver, because they have not been transparent about it, is the All-Star game. This is a money grab. It's an unnecessary risk to take. Regardless of what level risk we're talking about, it's an unnecessary risk to take to fly players in from all over the country, uh, fly other team personnel in from all over the country. Makes no sense, uh, but they're doing it because money. This, to me, is the Adam Silver mistake. I'm not sure he has that much of uh, you know of, of a leg to stand on here, but because I'm sure the owners are forcing this because there's a lot of money that isn't coming in. Uh, but that, to me, is the mistake. Not the Durant stuff, uh, and uh, and certainly not this. I don't think he takes a black eye here. He's on Twitter at a gold fan. It's the Adam Gold Show, noon to three, right here on Sports Hub Triad. What do you imagine conference tournaments to look like next month? Uh, empty. Same thing we've been seeing, just in uh, where every game is taking place in the same building. I know why the big conferences have to do it. It's about inventory. Uh, same reason that the ACC Big Ten Challenge was a thing. It's about inventory. I talked to people at North Carolina at the time. I'm like, why are you guys flying into uh, Iowa City where the, uh, the rate of infection is about 42%? What, what, why, are we do- why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense to me. Now, it didn't mean that anybody was going to get sick. It was just a risk. But the reason they took the risk was money. Uh, the major conferences are going to have their tournaments because ESPN or whoever else is airing the tournament. They need inventory. They need the games. I think the smaller conferences will think twice, and and you'll see some of them end up with just a game, best two teams, home court of the uh, regular season champ. Winner goes to the NCAA tournament. But That's what I think you'll see a number of another number of conferences doing. Yeah, and Mark Few, I think he's been noting that as well. I think he said that earlier this week. But this is the bigger looming question. It's not if teams opt out. When teams opt out because of the health protocols the NCAA lied out for the tournament, seven consecutive negative tests, are required in order to right. play in the NCAA tournament. When that happens, and it happens to be 
top teams in the conference. Let's say hypothetically the ACC. Let's say Virginia and Florida State decide we're not coming to the ACC tournament. It, whether it's the ACC or any other conference, does the champion of a conference tournament that does not have the top teams in that league playing in it deserve an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament? Should they get that? Uh, yes. I don't think you'll see the best teams opt out. I really don't. Um, I think you'll see a smattering. Uh, we're talking about in the major conferences. I think you'll see a smattering of teams opt out. Okay, well, let uh, me so ask you this is- then. If it's not the big conference, let's say it's Gonzaga. Let's say it's Houston and the American. They opt out, and East Carolina wins the AAC, goes on a roll one or two games over 500 in the American. Should they get a bid into the tournament? Yeah, absolutely. You can't control who you play. What if they, What if Houston loses in the first round uh, and East Carolina goes on and wins it? Same thing. I got no, pro- I got no problem with that. If you're going to have a conference tournament and it's an automatic bid to the winner, uh, then that autumn, that winner goes. Um, I do think that there will be, there might be some conferences that also want to protect their their top overall seed. There's no reason for the Big South to make Winthrop play three games to win their conference tournament. You don't know. I mean, you could, and all of a sudden now you're, uh, and who knows? Maybe they go there and they get, they catch COVID the second day. Like I, I believe that you'll see a lot of these smaller leagues. Like, what is the Missouri Valley going to do? Uh, you've got a couple of really good teams and really nobody else after that. I mean, I, I think ultimately you see some of these uh, smaller leagues just play one game because nobody really cares. It's not about money for that. The, the only thing they get paid for is the championship game on ESPN. AG, what's for dinner? Uh, I think we're doing a taco smorgasbord tonight. Wow. I'm doing that. I yep. did that uh, two nights back. I think I have some leftovers. That's for why lunch I'm doing it tomorrow. I've got. Uh, I, I think I'm gonna. Uh, I'm doing takeout tonight. That's that's the plan. T- take out what? Just the general. Uh, uh, I think I'll get some Chick Fil A. That's what I'm doing tonight. Wow. There you go. Being bold. Well, does Blue Apron have a Chick Fil A? <laughs> no, the Blue Apron's coming in next week, Adam. So next By week. By the way, on what's do you do dinner. the spicy chicken sandwich from Chick Fil A, yes. or do you do yes. the, the OG number one? Once you go spicy, you can't go back. And I get two barbecues and a ranch as well. And they know me so well at the place that they know they know the deal by now. They know you by name. Yeah, actually, what's crazy about it, it's not even by name; it's by voice. It's not even by face. They they're like, oh oh, I got you. So the two barbecues and the ranch, right? Yeah, there you go. That's awesome. Robert, what do we got in uh, what's for dinner for you? Uh, my girlfriend's making my favorite thing that she makes. Uh, she's doing Tuscan salmon pasta. So it's like a, a salmon and like a, a cream with spinach and tomatoes on a pasta, maybe a little side salad. And if I'm extra lucky, she'll have cheddar biscuits too. Cheddar biscuits? Uh, there are so many jokes there. I'm just going to leave them all alone. <laughs> what, uh, what is the pasta? Uh, I think she's using linguine because that's what we have in our pantry, but I'm not sure. Okay. All right, we'll, 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 get, we'll get back like a to you. Thing to me. We, we can get back to you on that. Hope you have a great night, and by the end of it, you're not looking like Tom Brady stepping off a boat, as is trending right I now on see social the footage media. On that. I want to see the throw from Gronk, from Brady to Gronk of the Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, we have to keep an eye on that. AG, have a great show tomorrow. I'll talk to you on Friday. Peace, man. Take there care. That's Adam Gold from the Adam Gold Show. Up next, the decision, I think, is primarily responsible 
for Duke being under 500 right now. Here on a Wednesday drive. Let's go, baby. What, kind of like this? Let's go. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Before we get back to college hoops, what a boat parade it's been for the newly anointed world champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You had sure-handed wide receiver Scotty Miller, not so sure-handed on a boat, dropping Chris Godwin's phone in the water. Hopefully that's not going to affect Godwin's decision whether or not he extends his contract with Tampa Bay or decides to go elsewhere. Apparently Tom was throwing the Lombardi trophy from one boat to the other to Rob Gronkowski. Gronk did end up catching the trophy, right? Uh, yeah, it was a pretty safe throw, though. Totally underhanded. Everything was calculated. Good catch by Rob Gronkowski. Then Tom was waddling away off a boat where somebody said, clearly Tom has lost his sea legs. It seemed pretty clear that Tom might have had a few. That maybe Tom has realized something that most of us realize when we're in our early 30s. Hey, I, I don't know if I can keep up with these young pups anymore when it comes to drinking, when it comes to the sauce. No, this is all part of that TB12 method, dude. And if it is, I've been doing it since college. Uh-huh. So, Tom, he looked a little awry. Let's say it that way. Tom has now tweeted. We've got a potentially drunk Tom Brady tweeting now. And I'm going to do this in my drunk person voice. I don't know if it's a good impression, but it's my drunk voice. Nothing to see here. Just a little avocado tequila. Is that a good impression or no? Uh, I mean, it's it's there. I know what you're trying to do. Slurring the words a bit. He misspelled nothing. He misspelled here. He misspelled. He put capital letters in random spots. Is this Tom also being great under the influence as a tweeter? The same way he's great under pressure as a quarterback? Or is Tom... Spelling words, misspelling words because he's legitimately drunk and doesn't know he's doing it. You can't convince me that Tom runs his own Twitter because it's it's too good. It's always he very is great on social punctual. media. The same way you can't convince me that Ric Flair runs his Twitter or Vince McMahon. Like those guys, they they have people to do that to make them look good on social media. Yeah. Also, I doubt that Tom is going to spend time tweeting today. Right. Does Tom strike you as the person saying, I need to get on my phone right now? I don't know. Don't get that vibe from him. Brenda Mark's going to join us in about 10 minutes. Some say last night marked the death of the one-and-done recruiting model. As Duke and Kentucky both lost, and they're both 10th in their conference standings. It is an amazing thing to see on February the 10th. Hasn't happened with Duke in 26 years that they're under 500 at this point in the season. But I think it's a stretch to say the one-and-done approach is finished. You do have the Blue Devils with a ton of great one-and-done likely players coming in in next year's class. Kentucky, it seems, is going to be recruiting the same way. But I do think we have a large enough sample size to say with some degree of confidence, at least for me, 
that the one-and-done approach has not been a successful recruiting model. Let's just look at the sheer numbers of it. It's produced, in college basketball, you're going to be judged by national championships. That's how it works. Nobody cares how many ACC titles Tony Bennett wins. They didn't care about it until he found a way to get to the Final Four and hold up the trophy at the end, like he did a couple of years ago. Nobody cares how many ACC tournament titles Roy Williams and Coach K has. It's about K having five national titles, Roy having three, so on and so forth. That's how legacies are defined. That's how success is graded at the top level of college basketball. So that's how we're going to judge it with this recruiting model. Over the last 15 years, and I say it's 15 years dating back to 2006-ish area because that's how Coach Cal was recruiting with Memphis, Derrick Rose coming to mind, going to the Final Four in 2008, close to 15 years. It's produced two national championships. Duke in 2015, Kentucky in 2012. If you look at the previous 15 years, before the last 15, Duke and Kentucky combined to win four of the 15 national championships. And really, we should include five because in the span of the last 15 years, Duke wasn't recruiting the one and done very early on while Cal was, and Duke won the 2010 national title with Shire, Nolan Smith, and company. So this model wasn't practiced until the following year when they brought Kyrie Irving in. That started the run of one-and-done recruits that Duke's had. It hasn't been successful when you look at it that way. Duke, Kentucky, they're always successful programs. They've always been national championship quality. But Duke, this year's going to mark the sixth consecutive season because they're not going to make the NCAA tournament this year. It's going to mark the sixth straight year that Coach K hasn't made it to the Final Four, which is the longest drought he's ever had as a coach. It's a big gamble going young. It opens you up in a way you're not opened up if you have more experienced teams. Maybe not as athletic, maybe not as much raw talent, but teams that know what you're getting into when you go into the NCAA tournament generally do better. It isn't to say you can't maneuver through it if you have so much talent, like the Anthony Davis team proved to us and Duke in 2015 proved as well. But for every one of those, there's a Duke team losing to Lehigh in a 215 game in the Coliseum. There's Duke as a three seed losing to 14th seeded Mercer in Raleigh. They're more susceptible. The worst losses Case had in the tournament has been with the one and done because it's different. Yeah, you're going into the tournament, and it's a one-and-done, and if you lose, you're out. It's it's tough to grasp for younger players. It's, it's different, and there's no guarantee you'll ever develop where you need to be by the end of the year. Look at this season, how minimal games for Duke and other programs and minimal practices and exhibitions and lead-up have really hurt the teams that recruit the one-and-done mostly. Kansas not ranked in the top 25. Kentucky, Duke having tough years. It's a bigger gamble going young. But it's also not just the powerhouses that have been hurt trying to go this route. Memphis hasn't done next to anything with Coach Hardaway. Didn't work out with (laughs) James Wiseman last year, I'd say. You run into more NCAA problems than you do having success on the floor. That's what Dennis Smith Jr. taught us in Raleigh with Mark Gottfried, right? How about we look at LSU when they had 
Ben Simmons. Didn't even make the tournament. Neither would, uh, would have Anthony Edwards last year from Georgia. So just because you go this route doesn't mean you're guaranteed to have the level of success or development or that it's going to translate at the college level. The one and done. I think we've seen enough from this approach to say it hasn't really been a successful model. On Twitter, at SportsUpDryad, if you'd like to chime in on today's show, 336-777-1600, the phone number. A quick reminder, make sure you're subscribed to the Best of Podcast if you aren't already. Just search The Drive with Josh Graham wherever you get your podcast. You can also listen on smart devices. Just say, hey, Siri or Alexa, play Sports Hub Triad Radio. Need to add the radio piece there at the end to do that. And in order to listen wherever you're at, you can download the WSGS Sports Hub app wherever you're at, uh, and it automatically streams audio on your phone. Don't need to go anywhere. You just pull up the app, and it immediately starts streaming audio. Right here from Sports Hub Triad. Want to make sure I pass that along to you. A lot of things I want to get to with Brendan Marks, who's going to join us in a bit. Are we going to the phones? 336-777-1600. Perhaps we could do that a little bit later on. Boston College. They're facing Wake Forest tonight. The Demon Deacons, this is maybe the second time I feel confident saying this is a game Wake Forest should win in ACC play. Second time this season. The other one, they won. They beat Miami at home. This is the first time I've been able to say it on the road. 7 o'clock, Wake Boston College. BC, they aren't good even when they're not having COVID issues. They are having them. Last week, they were going to play a game with four scholarship athletes before FSU had issues in its program with COVID. We're hoping the Seminoles are able to go Saturday against the Demon Deacons. We had Leonard Hamilton on the show yesterday. BC had six kids play, scholarship kids against NC State when they got rolled this past weekend. I'm not saying that Wake Forest should win big tonight, but I think it's a game Wake should win. BC is the worst team in the league. I'm kind of surprised Jim Christian didn't lose his job last year, considering how little the buyout was compared to, say, Danny's buyout that Wake Forest cashed out. Also, I love the fact Wake Forest has gotten a full week of practice. They haven't really had that at any point since really the entire year. They haven't had a full week of practice without any games. Remember, the season started the day before Thanksgiving on November the 25th. Wake Forest won a basketball game that day in Steve Forbes' debut. The day after Thanksgiving, Wake won again. They're 2-0. Three days after that, they have the massive COVID situation. That cost them exactly three weeks. They didn't they weren't able to practice, weren't able to get together. December 19th for 20th, they finally were able to practice, but not with everybody in the program. I was told they weren't able to have a practice or a scrimmage with subs until New Year's Day. And at that point, they're getting ready for games now. You're thrown into the fire. You have three games in a week, your first week in ACC play. You have to play four consecutive ranked teams at that point. A lot of games on the road. It was the gauntlet for Wake. Last week was a tough loss for, for Steve Forbes, but having a full week of practice, I think that's a really good thing for them. So this is a game, Wake-BC tonight at 7 o'clock. I think the Deeks should win. We'll see if it happens. We were talking about the one-and-done model with Duke. How many of these guys on the roster right now 
do we feel comfortable saying are going to return to next year's team? We'll discuss that and also get the latest on North Carolina situation post-postponement. See what I did there? When Brendan Marks joins us next. Hit it. Let's begin. It's on. The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. This is an interesting week to be on the Duke and Carolina beat, as our next guest is. He joins us each week. It's Brendan Marks with us from The Athletic. Of course, you have the postponement Monday with North Carolina-Miami, which seems like a million years ago with the way the news cycle works now. Then yesterday, as we were on the air, Duke lost to Notre Dame. They're under 500 for the first time in 26 years. Let's talk about the Blue Devils a little bit. Brendan Marks is with us, by the way, from The Athletic on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. You were writing about how maybe some of these challenges Duke is facing this year could help them if many of these guys stick around next year. Let's start there. How many of these Blue Devils can you see sticking around for another year? Yeah, you know, Josh, I think that's really the best thing that Duke fans have to look forward to the rest of this season is you know, how many of these guys can get crucial experience that's going to benefit them next season. And, you know, I think the, the easiest way to look at who could go, who could stay, is, is to sort of sort out, okay, who is definitely not going to be in the fold anymore? Um, and I think from that perspective, I think the one guy who probably has as lofty an NBA ceiling as anyone on the team right now is Jalen Johnson, the superstar freshman wing. You know, he's he's six nine and um, he struggled at times this year, but the NBA still seems to love him and his potential, so I certainly expect he'll be gone. Um, same with Matthew Hurt, leading scorer on the team. Uh, the NBA seems convinced that he is a 40% plus three-point shooter, and that is good enough in today's NBA, regardless of anything else, to get you a spot. So I, I am counting on both of those two guys being gone. After that is where it gets a little bit murky. Um, I could see a situation where DJ Stewart, the, the freshman out of Chicago, takes sort of a, a, a leap of faith and hopes that someone takes him maybe in the second round. The t- uh, NBA loves his scoring upside, but he could probably use a little more physical development. Wendell Moore is a guy that had been on a lot of radars and has been playing well of late. you got to wonder, is, is he better off maybe coming back and starring in a starring role? And then there's the matter of transfers, Josh. You know, are, are there guys who are going to be pushed down the depth chart and want to see more playing time? You know, in that vein... Um, I think that sort of will work itself out in the next couple of months. But one guy who it's sort of hard to see a path to playing time for is Jamin Brakefield. Um, you know, if you just look, and there's going to be Mark Williams next year. Uh, Henry Coleman will be back. He absolutely loves the Duke experience. Hurt will be gone, but um, Duke is bringing in two other guys in Paolo Banchero and A.J. Griffin who can play the four or the small ball four. So there, there's going to be a lot of bodies in that room, and Brakefield is a guy who uh, I think can contribute and help a team somewhere else. But You know, this is a situation to monitor in the next couple of weeks. Who gets experience? Who sticks around? And and Coach K will say that's not what Duke is playing for at this point in the season, but an NCAA tournament bid is is getting quickly out of reach. Coach K, he kept talking about experience last night, and he's been talking about this really all season. With a young group, it's difficult to get experience. Last night he even went as far to say, yeah, you have a nap for everything, but you don't have a nap to gain experience. And this is certainly not a knock. I don't mean this as a criticism of the decision in December, but I do feel like this Blue Devil team could have really used the three games that they lost in the non-conference season 
that probably would have them over 500 right now, maybe closer to the NCAA tournament at large bid mix. But Coach K, he knows his team better than you do, better than I do, and he felt his team needed that break and they lost those games as a result. When you're starting to think about how we got here, Duke being under 500, seven and eight, uh, for the first time in 26 years under 500 at this point in the year, what would you say is the primary reason that is? Oh boy, that's a tough one. I, I, I think the biggest thing for Duke is that there was never a point in the season where everyone was on the same page. And I mean that in terms of no one was on the same page in terms of the freshmen being where normally freshmen would be in their development at certain points in the year. And that's, you know, a large product of the pandemic. Um, I don't think that the returners who Duke had come back were familiar or comfortable right from the jump with their expanded roles. That was something that also took time for them to figure out. You had an injury to arguably the team's most physically gifted player in Jalen Johnson, who he missed a couple of games. And again, when he came back, it took time to get back together and now, as Duke is piling up these losses, um, you know, I, I still don't think that this team has sort of figured out the fit together. And so I just think this entire season, you know, partially because of the pandemic, partially because of the youth, partially because of the guys being asked to do different things in different roles, um, and, and partially because of their own performance, but this team has never really been on the same page. And, and that's the thing that I think we were all waiting for, waiting for, waiting for. And it just hasn't happened. And at this point in the middle of February with a sub 500 record, um, I, I think it's fair to wonder a, if that'll happen at all this year and, and B, if it doesn't, how do you go about preventing that from happening again in the future? That to me then quickly becomes the next most important focus. It's Brendan Marks. Covers Duke and Carolina for The Athletic with us each week here on Sports Hub Triant. Going back to yesterday's statements from North Carolina, Roy said at the end of his statement, they realized they did make a mistake, talking about the maskless post-Duke celebration party that was caught on video, then said, for which they are paying a very significant price. Do you have any idea what that price might be? Uh, well, I, I can tell you for one thing that I'm, I'm not sure exactly how much practice North Carolina is going to be able to get in this week just because of um, COVID precautions and obviously the, the risk that the program is exposed to because of maskless interactions over the weekend. Um, but if there is practice, I can guarantee you one of those prices is going to be a heck of a lot of conditioning. Um, I, I would not at all be surprised if Roy Williams goes and gets out a puke trash can for every single guy on the roster. Um, there's going to be a ton of running. There's going to be a ton of making these guys sort of own up to their own mistake and as they started to do with their statement. But beyond that, um, I think it's sort of a wait-and-see thing. I still think that there is probably the potential for some sort of uh, disciplinary measure, whether that is a suspension, whether it is um, reduced minutes, maybe it's sitting out a half. You know, maybe it's just things behind the scenes. Um, but certainly I think that, you know, th there were two players who were caught on video the statements made yesterday make it clear that those two were not the only ones who were in violation of protocols. Um, and, and, you know, it is Roy Williams' policy, as I've come to understand it over the years, that you're a team. And if certain players on the team do something, 
and, and you know about it or you could have prevented it and you don't, you're, you're just as liable as they are. So I, I would not at all be surprised if Roy Williams sort of treats this as a team thing. Um, that's why I say the conditioning as the quote-unquote significant price, but um, certainly for, for anyone who for sure we know was out there and, and was at this celebration – I still think there is the potential that there could be some sort of individual disciplinary measure. You and I both have people over there that we know who are very close to the program. I'm interested if you've heard from any of them. What's the most interesting thing you've been told over the last two days since the video surfaced? Yeah, I, I think the most, you know, I put out a couple of thoughts on Twitter when this was all happening in real time. And the number one thing that I was hearing from, you know, people within the program, people close to the program, um, was selfishness. That was the word that keep getting thrown around. This was so selfish. How could these guys have this much selfishness in them? And I, I just thought that was really interesting because I find it hard for any of us to be like the moral police for what 18 and 19 year olds should be doing. Sure. Um, I think it's really irresponsible, if not just downright lying, to say that if I was 19, I wouldn't be doing the same thing. Or, or that when I was 19, that I didn't make mistakes that I regret. And I think that um, you have to understand that, yes, while these guys clearly had an error in judgment, I'm not at all condoning them doing what they did. I think they understand that they made a mistake. At the same point, these are guys who, since they've been on campus back in August, I mean, they have been living in a hotel. They haven't seen their friends, their families, even when their families fly from hundreds of miles away to come and see them. They're not allowed to hug. They stand in the parking lot and call each other on the phone. So we're asking a lot of sacrifice for these guys. That doesn't excuse the decision that they made. But this idea of selfishness to me is one that I don't think it's as cut and dry and a lot of people are making it out to be. Um, you know, it's a complicated situation that could have been handled better, but Certainly, I don't want to be one of the people piling on to these 18, 19-year-olds for acting the way college kids always have. I think the best example of this, it's a beautiful illustration that you're giving here, reminding people that despite the fact they're really good at basketball and they're probably going to be playing in the NBA soon, they are just like any other college student in that they can make a mistake like that because as that's, that party is happening on Saturday night, Without in-person classes, I think, happening in Chapel Hill, unless I'm wrong on that, you have hundreds, hundreds of people, hundreds of fellow students storming Franklin Street. So uh, it's just one of those things that those I don't view what those students did in Franklin Street to be all that different than what the North Carolina players were caught on tape doing. And I'm just as sympathetic as you are talking about Eh, if I was 18 and 19, I'd like to think I would do the right thing. But I don't know that for sure, especially given the circumstances of the pandemic. Brendan, it's good to have you on the show as always. Keep up the great work with The Athletic. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Thank you so much, sir. Hope you and everyone else are staying safe.